mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turning your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 16 as we endeavor to close out the testimony of this evangelist of the life and times of Jesus Christ. If you'll remember, we tried to do that last week. We did not get to the end of it. The, the gospel of Mark is written to Gentiles. It's a gospel of action. It moves really, really quick until you get to where we're at now. And then there's a lot of information here that we need to dig into. And I'll try to be as brief as possible. But I want to remind you where we were last week, uh, we're going to be beginning in 1614, but I want to just look at 9 through 13 and just kind of an overview really quick to bring us up to speed. If you'll remember, Jesus has been crucified. He was placed in a grave. They put a guard in front of it. They sealed the tomb. And then... Um, he rose, it says, verse 9 of chapter 16 of the Gospel of Mark. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday. That's why we celebrate on Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday. You can meet any day you want. It's just important that we do not give up or forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Now, I, I looked at that again. I don't know if you guys know whom he cast out seven demons. Now, I don't know about you. I think I had some demons, but I don't think I had seven of them. That's a lot. I mean, I could have had more than seven. Who knows? Could have had a legion. And God was good uh, when he brought salvation to me. But Mary means their rebellion. Their rebellion. That's what Mary means. And then she's from Magdalia. That's why it's Mary Magdalene. She's from a city called Magdala. And that actually means tower. And their rebellious tower is what I would tell you that is. Because that's where we're at. We run from God and His authority. And we have our own little ivory towers. And we, we go to them and we think we're somebody special in our rebellion. And in fact, what we need to do is to humble ourselves in the sight of God. And He will lift us up. And, and we try to lift ourselves up. And we end up in some severe pain and actually uh, on a, our way to hell. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. Now listen, she went and told those that he had risen. He is risen. And, and listen, we're going to talk about this on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, many call that Easter. I do not use that word. I'm using it now just in an explanation. Um, bunnies uh, do not lay eggs. 
I just had some bunnies at my house, so I know for a fact they don't lay eggs. Uh, they're little bitty bunnies. So don't believe the deception. The greatest thing that the world has tried to cover up is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, a bodily resurrection. And the devil wants you in your ivory tower, he wants you in your rebellion to celebrate anything but the actual physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. He got up out of the grave. When you believe that Jesus got up out of the grave, you believe that he's Lord and that God raised him from the grave, the resurrection, that's how you're saved. Because we were born dead. You can look at John 5, 24. It says that we were born dead. When we believe that Jesus was the payment for our sin nature, we come to life. And that's, a, that's an interesting term because you know what come to life? Jesus is life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we come to him, we come to life. Literally, we come to life, but literally we're coming to the one who gives life. And the devil... Of course, he gives death. He wants you to believe his lies and stay dead. And so the number one message in all of the gospel is really the resurrection because it is the evidence that Jesus was the Messiah. The Messiah is the Mashiach. It's the anointed that God called him for this specific purpose to die for all the sins of the world, to pour out his blood as an atoning sacrifice for you and me. That's why it's so important that we believe that. And then... He got up out of the grave, which represents that God accepted that sacrifice. It was perfect, without spot. It had no sin in his life. He was tempted in every way in which we are tempted, yet without sin. And now notice what they're doing, though. They come. She went and told those who were doing what? They were mourning and weeping. Listen. Jesus has already told them he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be betrayed, crucified. He's going to die. But on the third day, I'm going to rise. He told them the truth. And he said, go wait for me in Galilee. You know what? They weren't listening. The church today is not listening. God has already told us in these 66 books by 40 authors what he's doing, what he's done, what he's getting ready to do. And we need to wake up to that and learn what he's doing. Learn what we're supposed to be doing as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the only thing we're supposed to be doing is building our love relationship with Jesus. And then telling other people about it. The ministry of reconciliation of souls. That's why God gave his most prized possession, his only son, Jesus Christ. So that you and I... Um, could once again be welcomed into the family of God. But notice what they're doing. They're mourning and weeping. Why would we be mourning and weeping the greatest thing that ever happened on the planet? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not something to mourn and weep about. It's something to rejoice about because now all of mankind can come to salvation. But when we don't get the spiritual and we stay in the physical, we're always mourning and weeping and living in an upside-down fashion. When you come to Jesus, he flips you right side up where you can begin to look at things from a heavenly perspective, from a perspective of life and not death. The Bible actually says that you're supposed to mourn at the day of birth and to weep. At the, excuse me, I did that backwards. You're supposed to mourn and weep at the day of birth and rejoice at death. Because when someone knows Jesus, 
They go to be in his arms for eternity. They're going to be with him forever. See, Jesus, when he paid for the, for the sin nature, he defeated death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So death has no more victory. Death has no more sting. Now, I know none of us really want to, we all want to go to heaven, but none of us want to go through that little bitty hole, that chasm, or whatever it might be where we go through the pain to die. But we definitely shouldn't be afraid of it if we know Jesus Christ and we're building a love relationship with him. And that's what we're commanded to do. That's the only purpose we're here in this life for these 70, 80 years, whatever it may be. Some people have less. But the only thing we're called to do is get the answer right by the end. And that is, there's one day, we just sang it, one day every knee will bow. Every knee to the praise of his glory. Some knees will bow and they'll be begging for another chance and none's going to be given. Other knees will bow because we're already bowing now. We're already worshiping now and we'll see him face to face. But God, he died for every single one of them. In fact, in Revelation 3, 5, it says that everybody's name is written in the book of life. It's very important to know that. Every person. See, why would God have a will that none would perish but all would come to salvation and then he not write everybody's name in that book? Here's what he did. He's got, a, he's got an invitation list. It's a wedding. And he writes down every name of everybody ever born in that book. And he's like, I'm inviting everybody to come to my son Jesus and, and, and to and celebrate life with me. And then as they decide no, he marks them off. They're not coming. Oh, they're too busy. Oh, they're, they're doing their own thing. Oh, they don't believe me. And he begins to mark them off. He blots them out of the Lamb's book of life. That's a sad thing to have your name blotted out because you ignored the atoning blood of Jesus. That's a free gift. And all you have to do is say yes. Now you have that knowledge. Now listen, this is important because knowledge can puff up. And knowledge can make you say, I know Jesus, I believe Jesus. Guess what? The demons believe and they tremble. But when a person comes to Jesus, there's supposed to be a change in their life. Because the Spirit of God comes in and seals you into the day of redemption. And then it begins to lead you in a different way because it gives you a new heart, a clean slate. You're born again. So life is different. The demons, they disobey. They tremble because they know their future is to be cast into the abyss, cast into hell fire forever. Listen, hell was never created for flesh and blood. It was created for fallen angels who followed the devil. Hell was created for them. But, but salvation was never created for, for fallen angels. Jesus didn't die for fallen angels. Fallen angels have already been in the presence of God and rejected him. Salvation is only for flesh and blood. We have a decision to make when we're born on this planet to choose to believe in Jesus or reject him. But it's not enough to just say a prayer and say, I believe. When the Spirit of God enters in, your life will begin to change because that self-same Spirit is God. And he wants to take those that are the children of God and train them in the ways of God and teach them to have a heart to obey God. Doesn't mean you're not going to mess up, but it means that you're going to be being conformed into the image of God from glory to glory. 
and to reject his word and to ignore his word and to never want to have fellowship with his people is not salvation at all. I was driving to work and God speaks to me when he gets me captive in a truck all the time. And if you see me driving down the road and you see me writing on my dash or writing notes, that's where I write all my notes at. And he really spoke to me about knowledge. Once again, you can know like the demons do and knowledge will puff up. You'll think you're somebody special. But in life, in order to have faith, in order to have wisdom, you have to go through and begin to build this love relationship. And in this love relationship, he gives you wisdom and understanding and discernment for the moment to understand what to say when you're in that place. Knowledge, now you can have all the answers. I got the answer key. I got the book right here. It's got all the answers. You hear me say all the time, I don't know, but I got the answer key right here. Here's all the answers. If it's not with a relationship with God as you bow down and learn to obey Him, even in the hard times, it's easy to submit to God when He's going, I'm going to give you everything. But that's not the God we serve. Sometimes you have to go through some hard things. And that's where the love relationship is because He doesn't leave you nor forsake you. That's where the love and the faith comes in because now you're trusting Him as you step out of the boat onto the water and you go, oh my goodness, this is crazy. God's calling me to do this. This is where you learn to grow your faith. Knowing the demons know and they tremble. How have you mixed your obedience with your faith? Not just hearing the word of God, but you begin to trust him and step out and walk out your gifting just as Jesus did here. For this purpose, he was called to die. Can you imagine how hard it would be for a man to know that he was born to die and then to walk forward to the cross and die? Now he's on the other side of it. He's risen again. He had to trust God, the Father and the Holy Spirit that he was coming back up out of the grave again. And since he did, it's called the first fruits. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. So since we know that Jesus got up out of the grave, we know that there's going to be a future resurrection of us. The church finishes the first resurrection. Blessed are those who have, take part in the first resurrection, the Bible says. That's an amazing thing. There's going to be a future harvest because he got up. Now we know that death is defeated. You say, well, I'm a pretty big sinner. Listen, he became the biggest sinner. He took all the sin of the world. The Bible declares that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he took all the sin and God raised him up because of the payment of his blood. How will he not raise us up if we just believe in that righteousness? And he gives it to us. He puts it in your bank account. And it ain't nothing like a stimulus check. Those stimulus checks are coming again. It's going to break our country. That's what men do. They tear stuff down. They tell you they're doing something good. And they destroy. Because that's the death culture. They act like they're doing something good. And they're really sneaking around. Only making themselves more powerful. Our God who had all the power in the world. Coursing through his veins. Became a baby. And, and, and walked around for nine months in the womb of Mary in their rebellion. That's what that means. He came down here and became altogether like us so we could become altogether like him. Doesn't even make sense. Because if I would have wrote it, I would have been the hero instead of the one that gets to get killed on a cross. You know, if man would have wrote this, they wouldn't have crucified him. He'd have come riding in on a horse the first time. 
But he's coming back soon, people, as a judge. And the only thing he's going to judge is whether you believed in the blood or whether you rejected it. Is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life still, or did it get blotted out? So you can have your sins blotted out with his blood. And it's actually like, like if you, you guys might not have ever seen this, but they have what's called Indian ink in a bottle, and they use quail pens. And, and if a bottle of black Indian ink would spill on a perfect white sheet, when you believe in the blood of Jesus, it's just as if it was wiped away and it's a perfect white sheet again. You become born again, white as snow. And he says, just come to me and reason with me. Though your sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. And all you have to do is believe. And if you don't believe, say, I believe, but help my unbelief, Lord. Draw me to you because there's no capacity in me or in you other than Jesus giving us faith that would make us believe in him. But to say I believe in him and then never, never even try to draw near to him is like the demons. They're running from him. They want to get away from him. You read in the Bible and they say, oh, what are you doing here? We know who you are, the son of God. Why have you come to persecute us before the time? They, they don't want to be around him. They know what their future holds. Do you know who holds your future? Listen, you don't have to fear death if you know him in a relationship. If you're drawing near to him and you're reading his word and saying, Lord, here I am, send me. It becomes like a fire in your bosom. You want to tell your neighbor, I got set free. Do you, is that desire in you? If it's not in you, maybe you haven't heard the gospel yet. Maybe you haven't believed in the resurrection. See, they're doubting here. That's the whole point I'm getting to. In their physical faculties, they can't even comprehend. Even though they've been told, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, third day I'll rise again. They can't even understand it. They get to the tomb and there's no, the stones rolled away. There's nobody in there. And they're like, what in the world just happened? And they need the Holy Spirit to remind them of what his word was, what he said. And when you hear his word, you go, I get it now. He, he got up. He stood up again. He is risen. And that same word can mean to a recovery of your spiritual faculties. See, that's what we need. We need to understand that when the Bible speaks to us, it's not to the physical, it's to the spiritual. We don't regard anybody physical anymore. We know that it's a spiritual realm, and there's an enemy, the devil, who wants to lie, kill, and destroy us. So he comes with a bunch of lies and says, you're okay, no big deal, you said a prayer. Listen, saying a prayer and saying I believe is not salvation. Unless it's accompanied by the work of the Spirit in your life. So don't believe the lie. And we're going to see it in the text. I'm going to move on. We'll get to it. Let's read. Um, so they didn't believe that he was alive. And so then he appeared again. Verse 12, 16, 12. In another form. That's the word morph. He, he didn't allow them to see who he was. We did this last week. It's the road to Emmaus couple guys, he's talking with them, and, they, and he tells them everything about it. But they did not believe either. So verse 14, this is where we want to be. Listen, you're in, if sometimes you go, man, I don't understand this. Man, I don't even believe this. Listen, you're in good company. The disciples were with him for three plus years. 
Do you remember that, Doubting Thomas? You guys remember Doubting Thomas? Everybody knows Doubting Thomas, right? Thomas, Thomas wasn't in the upper room when, they, when he came to him right after this road to Emmaus. And so then Thomas comes in a little bit later and they go, man, the Lord was here and we've seen his scars and, and his wounds. And, and he goes, well, I ain't going to believe unless I put my fingers in his womb, in his hand. And a little bit later, you know what happened? Jesus comes in again. He says, hey, Thomas, here, touch and feel. See, he was teaching him that even when you don't see me, I'm with you. He was doing this in and out thing to show them in this transition period that even if they don't see him in the flesh, he's still here in the spirit because he wants us to see the spiritual realm. He wants us to understand that he's everywhere. God is with us right now. And he can be in your heart if you'll believe. If you will believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you believe that? So, but, but listen, I just think that Thomas gets a bad name, really. Think about this for a minute. After he said, unless, they all said it. They all doubted. Every one of them doubted. There's not a person ever born that doesn't doubt, except for Jesus. What you do is in relationship, you fight through your doubts. You grow your relationship. You grow your faith by exercising it, by learning to trust him. But if you never step out of the boat you're in, you never learn to trust him. Let's keep going. Verse 14, 16, 14 of Mark, as we close this out. It's going to get a little bit, um, I'm going to say different than the other gospels because he just takes a jab at some things and then we're going to come back and try to understand them a little bit more so that we don't confuse them uh, with um, in our flesh later he appeared see he keeps making these appearances it means shows him he showed himself to the 11 as they sat at the table And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Let's pray. Father, many things here that we need to understand so we pray that our physical faculties would be shut down and you would open the eyes of our heart to help us see and hear what you would say to the church that we would receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul in Jesus' name amen again he appeared to the 11 now this could be uh, just a general reference by saying the disciples it used to be the 12 remember Judas went and hung himself Because I believe that at this time, Thomas is not in the room. So really, there was only 10 of the 11 there. Didn't want to complicate that, but just don't want you. There's people that actually take the Gospels, put all four testimonies together, and then they go, Aha! A contradiction! Listen, 
If you're looking for a contradiction, you're probably not saved. If you're looking for a contradiction, instead of looking for relief. I remember when I got saved, I wanted to stay in the church all day long. I felt so safe. I go to my pastor's house and I'm like, oh, you want me to leave? Oh, I thought I could just sit on your couch all day long. I feel a new heart, a new life, a new and living way. I don't want to go anywhere. Can I just move in here? Because I knew who I was. And I knew what I used to do. And I knew the peace and the safety that was there from the Spirit of God that had came into my heart. Because I knew I was forgiven by the blood of Jesus. But see, as you, after you've been a Christian for a couple minutes, then you start to forget all about that. I'm, I'm not making light of it. Maybe 10 years and then you go, oh, I'm getting a little bit lethargic. I'm getting a little bit sleepy. And, oh, yeah, and I've been doing this Christian thing for a long time. Maybe I should start dabbling in this or dabbling in that. And, oh, and if he's going to forgive me anyway, maybe I can live any way I want. Listen, you better stoke the fire. And the only way to stoke the fire is by drawing near and confessing your sin. And a flickering wick he will not put out, but he'll, he'll blow fresh wind upon you. He'll blow fresh wind. He'll start that fire. You ever blow on a fire when it's going out just on the coals? And whoo, He wants to light the flame. He wants you to be burning bright and shining on others. And he wants to consume those desires in your life that are not of the Spirit. And he wants to conform you into his image and make you like him. That's, if that's not strange enough for you, a holy God wants us to be like him? My goodness. That's amazing grace to me. So later he appears to the eleven, and he sa- as they sat at the table, we do that a lot, don't we? Uh, eat a lot. That's what I think that's what it means. They were eating. Listen, we need to be sitting at his table. When you sit at any table, you should be thankful enough to know that you have been given a gift from God, and it should be uh, uh, that you understand that it's spiritual. I don't care if you're eating physical food. This is a spiritual thing. We are spirits in a body, and we're going to be with God for eternity or be separated from God for eternity. And when you wake up to the blood of Jesus and the salvation and the Spirit of God comes in, it changes how you live. It changes how you think. Now, you might not know everything, but you'll know that I was once blind, but now I see. And you can begin from there as a little child to say, Abba, Father, feed me. Well, how does he feed you? With the word of God. Everything that Jesus does is always spiritual. Oh, he'll take care of physical, but it's always spiritual first. Because it's a spiritual kingdom. But we're down here in this temporal, fleshly place, and we always think flesh first. But when he speaks in his word, he's always going to address the spirit first. Think about it in Matthew 24 when the boys go, Hey, when's these things going to happen, Jesus? What does he say? He says, careful no one deceives you first. Think about it because deception is eternal. If you're deceived, you're going to be eternally deceived. But the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilence, the wars, the rumors of wars, they're going to end one day. That's temporal. That's all about the flesh. But he speaks first to your spirit. Are you awake today so your spirit can be ministered to by the balm of Gilead, the word of God? The Spirit of God who is here right now. And sometimes He has to correct you. Sometimes He has to 
chastise us. But he doesn't do it for our destruction. Just like when you parent your children and you spank their butt. You're not doing it so they, now you listen to me. This is what the devil does. He, he spanks you. He brings you into fear. He brings you to where you go, I'm going to obey them because if I don't, they're going to really hurt me. God chastises us so that we'll see his great love so that we don't run headlong into destruction with the world when you spank your kids you're not trying to make them be dominated by you to where they fear you you're trying to just discipline them to correct them so they won't go out in the street and get ran over you're trying to train them in the way that they're supposed to go so that one day they'll be able to do that on their own and not be lost you won't have to go, oh my goodness, I got prodigal kids. They're out in the street. It's good for your prayer life, but it hurts your heart. So notice this for all you that are listening and think that Jesus never says a wrong word. And I remember he made a whip and turned over changers tables and chased everybody out of the temple. And that gentle, kind Jesus who loves is also a just God who will chastise, he will rebuke. Right now, this is what this is doing, the Word of God to equip us. It encourages us, it trains us, it teaches us, it equips us, but it also rebukes us. And if you go to a church service and you don't get your heart stepped on a little bit, maybe you're not really drawing near to God to learn. Maybe you're not really wanting to be equipped because we're carrying this dead body around, this flesh, and it wants to take off into the carnival and live a carnal life, a temporal life. But God says, no, you're spiritual. Now I bought you with my blood and I want to use you for my glory in the ministry of reconciliation. So get your eyes fixed back on me. But he's not making you. He wants you to choose to do that in love. Now the devil, he wants to bring fear. He wants to say, COVID's here. You do what I say or you're going to die. Listen, you were already going to die, whether it was COVID or the flu or, or a bullet or a truck or your heart just gave out. But I, I'm here to tell you, I'm indestructible until God's finished with me. And I'm not going to walk around in fear and panic over a bunch of this crazy stuff. I wasn't walking around before afraid of it. I tried being polite to people, but all they want to do is take more. That's what the devil does. You give in to a little bit of his fear. You give in to a little bit of his sin. You give in to a little bit of what he's saying in his lie. And you know what he does? He just takes over. He'll consume you. But it's the same way when you surrender to Jesus. He'll fill you with his spirit. And he'll begin to teach you his word. He'll begin, begin to make you understand that the righteous are bold as lions. You don't have to run around in fear. You don't have to act like a sailor either. But you're supposed to be. I'm not picking on sailors. But they're, you know how they always have that bad reputation it used to work it doesn't work anymore used to be the sailor would have an anchor on his arm you know and he'd be tattooed up and everybody go whoa but now everybody has tattoos so it doesn't matter so it, that, that that analogy doesn't work anymore anyway my point was is you want to let your gentleness be known to all men for the coming of the lord is at hand and gentleness is a fruit of the spirit also and i have tattoos i'm not picking on him i just uh uh happened to have that in the what I was saying. Where are we at? So what does he do as they sit at the table? They're sitting there eating. He appears in their midst. You know what happened? He rebuked them. Look at it. It's right there in 14. He rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Listen, 
Listen, there is this, this we, Friday night, if you go get that lesson, it's, on the, it's up on the web. It was all about people with a hard heart not receiving Jesus. Unbelievers with hardness of heart. And at a certain point after your heart is hard and you've heard the truth and you've heard about Jesus, there's a certain point where God just says, okay, that's it. I'm not going to strive with them any longer. I'm going to use them. I'm going to blind their eyes so they can't believe. I'm going to harden their hearts so they can't believe. But this right here, he's speaking to believers. This is his disciples. They believe in him. This is a different. This is after you get saved. After you get saved, you can resist the work of the Holy Spirit. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the fire that consumes the flesh out of you of the Holy Spirit. Or you can surrender, because the Bible says in 8.14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. So that's what we want to do. That's the place we want to get. And if we're not there, we'll do things like they were doing, and they were just there. They seen him hang on a cross and die. So in their mind, he's dead. But he told them he was going to get back up. And even though he has, and people have come and said, hey, we've seen him. Hey, we talk with him. Hey, we were on the road to Emmaus. They're like, we still don't believe. So he has to come to them and touch them personally. And the amazing thing is I get back to Thomas. When Thomas puts his fingers in there, you know, it's not just that Thomas touched and felt. It was that Jesus knew what Thomas had said when Jesus wasn't there. He came and spoke into a conversation that he wasn't even in the room. And he says, my Lord and my God. And he said, Thomas, you believe because you've touched and held it, but blessed are those who believe and have never seen me. That's us. That's all the future believers that haven't seen Jesus, but we know he's here because we believe the truth when it confronts our conscience. We say, I believe, Lord. And then his spirit comes in and seals us, begins to, it washes us and gives us a brand new heart. And we come like little bitty children as if we never sinned before, even though in our mind, you know what? You know you sinned. But in his courtroom, in his kingdom, you're as white as snow because Jesus took all that sin on the cross. Even right now, all this sin, if you just confess your sin, it doesn't change God one bit. 1 John 5, 9, or excuse me, 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, God is faithful. To forgive you and cleanse you of all your sin. That word could have been baptized too. To cleanse you of all your sin. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't change God one bit, but it corrects your relationship with God down here. It helps you to be able to have a clear conscience before God, to walk with God, to live with God, to trust that He is speaking to you and still leading you and you're led by the Spirit. But when you don't confess it, when you go, well, you know, that book was written a long time ago and now we have to have same-sex marriage. Now we don't even know if genders exist. Now we don't even, and you begin to believe that lie, then you don't believe in any God at all, except for yourself. I'm going to change the word to fit what's going on in my life. That's not God. You're God. You're still God. If you change the word of God to fit what's going on in culture, God is supposed to impact your heart and your heart impact culture. Not culture impact us, but the church has been taken over by the culture and it looks just like the culture. It's a sad testimony. So he comes and rebukes them because they're apistos. 
Pistio is the word for belief, and A in front of it means no faith. They're not having any faith that he rose again. The single most important event, because if he doesn't rise from the grave, he's just like all the other false gods, Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad. He's just like them. Their bones are still in the grave, and nobody is saved from death. But since he got up, now you and I know that we can get up one day. We're not going to die and it be permanent. And they have a hardness of heart. Skelly, skelly cardia. And I, I'm not pronouncing it right, but it's a word for scoliosis and it's a word for cardia. Your cardia. And if you listen to it, like you can go on Blue Letter Bible and push it. It's like nothing like I'm saying, but I'm not trying to learn Greek anyway. So they had a hardness of heart. What's your hardness of heart since you come to Jesus? Listen, you have to make that decision. Is there evidence of the Spirit of God in your life? Think about it. The Spirit of God takes everything that belongs to Jesus and He gives it to you. The inheritance, He gives you the truth of Jesus. He gives you the truth of life. See, Jesus was sent by the Father and He takes everything the Father gave Him and He gives it to us. How does He do it? Through the Spirit of God. And then the Spirit of God is pointing at Jesus. The Spirit doesn't want any attention at all. It has to be if Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. So in your life, is the Spirit of God transforming you so that Jesus is being lifted up? If that's what God's doing on the planet in the ministry of reconciliation, he's using the Spirit of God to lift up Jesus, is that happening in your life? If it's not, you have to ask yourself, am I still in my sin? Did I ever come to salvation or is it just demonic knowing and has never been a surrender of my life. See, we have a lot of false conversion in the churches. And we go, well, how come the church is apostate? Because of all the false conversion, of all the false witnesses, of all those that are making up the salvation of Christ. That's how you have people getting acquitted in jury trials. You have false witnesses testifying to false stains, and then the people go, well, he's not guilty then. If you're not afraid to lie, you can almost get anybody found not guilty if there's no credible evidence, if it's all circumstantial. The question, though, is when you get to the throne room of God, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Is it real? How has it impacted your life? Now, you will not see everything that God is doing in your life and how you're affecting other people. But is there any evidence that you desire to know about Jesus? This is very important. This is not a joke. This is eternal. That you're not deceived into thinking you can just say one prayer and you're okay. I grow weary of telling you about, I'm not going to say his name, but he went forward. That's why I don't do altar calls. I don't see any altars in the New Testament. They're in the Old Testament under law. Your heart is the altar today. Listen. He went forward, he said a prayer, he jumped literally in the air and said, cuckoo, can't get me now, Satan, and we never saw him again. And he walks away thinking that he's saved because he said a prayer. Demons know and they tremble. People who begin to live for Jesus, they come back. Your heart, the blood of Jesus brings you back into the family of God under the authority of the God of the universe and gives you a chance to do what Adam and Eve didn't do. They disobeyed God. And it gives you a chance to say, I want to obey you. I want to follow you. I know I'm going to mess up. 
But I want to surrender to the work of your spirit and begin to learn you, to be in your house again. And I've been set free from the penalty of sin. Jesus took it on the cross. From the power of sin, because now sin can't affect me. See, the power is gone because sin in your life right now, it cannot affect your eternal destination. That's some grace, isn't it? That's some grace there. You mean if I still break the law right now? Well, as long as you continue to take the bar of soap and wash. But a heart that wants to do that purposefully, oh, I think I'll just walk in sin since I can't mess up now, doesn't know the love of God who has died to set us free so that we could go and tell others so they could be set free. So we want to be like him. Sorry, I get carried away here. I better get back to the text or we'll only get through one verse, right? So he rebukes them. Listen, it's a good thing to be rebuked by God, especially if you know him. Would you rather your father just let you keep going? Ah, he'll be all right. He'll find his way soon. Think about it. A loving father will rebuke you. A loving father will chastise you. A loving father will take you to the woodshed. If you haven't been to the woodshed, then you might not be a child of God. If you're enjoying your life and your sin, and God isn't dealing with you and rebuking your unbelief and trying to challenge you to grow, maybe you're just still a child of the devil. And the Spirit of God doesn't live in you. Now, I'm not trying to to freak you out. But Paul says to test yourself, try yourself, put yourself on trial to see if you are even in the faith. He says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And wouldn't you much rather have to deal with that now than to wait till you die and get there and go, what? I really wasn't saved. Then it's eternal. It's eternal deception as opposed to momentary lapse of reason. So he rebukes them because, you know what, when somebody loves you and they rebuke you, oh my goodness, the wounds of a friend are much better than, than the lies of an enemy. When somebody loves you enough to say, hey, that ain't Christianity. That ain't following me. And they rebuke you and say, wait a minute, don't you believe I'm God? I died and paid for your sins. I rose again. I told you it was going to happen, and now it did, and you're going, I don't believe it. Listen, that's what the Word of God is here. It's a written, a written document, the holy writ of everything that God did and He's going to do, everything you need to know. Now, there's a lot more that He's done and going to do that if He told us about it, our little brains would pop. But He gave us just enough, a little inch, Enough that we need to know to be in his kingdom forever. And when you exhaust this, this 66 books by 40 authors, when you exhaust this, maybe he'll tell you some more. But right now, there's nothing new from God. There's no new revelation from God. And if it's from God, it's not new. Here it is. Everything that he needs you to know is in this book. I've seen somebody look crazy at me. I was not saying that he was going to teach you a new, I'm meaning when you see him face to face, he'll give you new information. Because you're not going to get any new information down here. You're going to further open this up. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday and I said, well, get used to it because 23 years ago I got saved and I'm still learning today. 
Because if God showed us how ugly we really were, we would give up. So all he's doing is working on you slowly, with love, with gentleness, with faithfulness. And he says in Philippians 1.6 that he will complete the work he started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. He's faithful to do that. Notice that. That's because it's the Spirit of God. If you want to be faithful, you have to be led by the Spirit of God. So he rebuked their hardness of heart. Today, if you believe in Jesus, is your heart hard? What is it? Did he not pay your rent once? Did he not give you what you wanted? Did you decide to get into the deceitfulness of sin and decide you wanted to play in it and stay in it and you thought you'd be okay in it and now you are reaping the fruit of it? Your heart hard? God loves you. The truth has not changed. God has not changed. It's you that move away from God. He doesn't move away from us. He is here reconciling us, changing us, transforming us, completing the work. And when we don't believe his word, it's because of us, not because of him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Are you drawing near to him? So he rebukes them because they did not believe, they didn't trust him, and they didn't listen to the testimony of those who had seen him after he had risen. And I think it's very important. Have you seen Jesus in your life? That's why I'm telling you that. If you don't see the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, you're probably doubting all of his word. But when you see the resurrection, that's why there's such an attack on the resurrection. See, you can mess with his birth. He's, a, he's virgin born, right? You can mess with his birth. He's already grown up. He's already died. His birth is, is so very important. Don't get me wrong. He had to be born of a virgin. But it's the resurrection is that the evidence that he paid for our sin. So people get mad at me because I, I, I uh, practice Christmas, but I don't talk about Easter. And we're going to have Resurrection Sunday. That's what I call it because the grave is empty. He got up. And then when he gets up, that means you can get up. Quit living in the tombs. Quit weeping and mourning over death when he's not dead. He's alive. He is risen. Verse 15. And he said to them. So he rebukes them. Listen. He, did, he didn't rebuke them and walk off and go like stupid disciples. He just tells them. And actually let me just, let me just read this to you. The word rebuked in the King James is unbraided. You ever use that word? Don't make me unbraid you boy. No we don't use that word anymore. That's why I'm using the word rebuked. Unbraided. Think about it. If you have braided hair. And you unbraid it. You straighten it up. See, he corrected them. They were confused in their emotions. They were confused in what had happened. They've been witnesses that he's alive. And he come and unbraided them. He chided them. Yes, it was a rebuke. It was like, stop it. I told you I was going to get up. Here I am. Don't you believe? How hard is your heart? Don't you believe I'm God? And he untangled that web that the devil tried to bring with their emotions and with other lies. And he unbraided them. He chided them. That's what that means. He corrected them. That's what he's doing today. 
I remember when I got saved, I thought I knew a lot about God. Found out that God needed to correct me. I didn't know nothing about God. Everything that I knew about God when I got saved was because the world had told me. And I had learned it in my physical and not in the spiritual. So he unbraided that. He corrected them. He untangled it and allowed them to see the truth. And then he gave them more instructions. That's what he's doing right now. He's showing us his love, and he's going to give us more instructions. He's not finished. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, this is the same as the text in, I think all the gospels give the great commission, we call it, in Matthew 28, 18, when Jesus raises from the dead, and he says, all authority has been given to me on, in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So here, I just said that, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. This entire text is that same thing. It's the commission for them to go and tell everybody, be a witness that he is risen. He rebukes them and he says, now go do it. Go into all the world and preach Preach is your word Caruso. You Christians, you know the, 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 the t-shirt people that is Caruso. That's what that means. That's the, the, you guys haven't seen Caruso on the tags? It says Caruso and they're the, you know, the, has the shirt that says the Bible falling apart reveals a life that's not falling apart. You know, uh, things like that. They got all the ketchup. It's got the Heinz 57. I got one of those that says ketchup with Jesus or something. And I don't know. They're, they're walking billboards. That's Caruso. It means to preach, to herald the good news, to publish it in some way so that other people have confronted their conscience and they have to make a decision about the truth of God's word. Listen to me. Preaching the word of God, not preaching, not preaching somebody's book. And, 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 and I get in trouble for this, but I'm going to tell you. There's a lot of churches that they have Bibles. And they go, we're having Bibles. I go, oh, what are you teaching? They go, and I'm looking for them to say the book of James or the book of John. And they go, oh, we're doing so-and-so's book. Really? Why not the Bible? See, other books, while they may be well-informed and they may be somebody's sermon and they may mean something, and they may have truth, they're not the living and inerrant Word of God, the spoken Word of God. And it's the spoken Word of God that a conscience needs to be confronted with, truth, in order to be transformed. I say a lot of stuff up here, and if whatever I'm saying, if somehow God uses the Holy Spirit to quicken it to your heart and change your life, the number one thing I want you to do is start reading this word, to come boldly to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, spending time in prayer with God. If you're not spending time in prayer, you're not learning to be dependent upon God. Number one thing, even though we say word, prayer, and fellowship, number one thing is prayer. Why, Greg? Because you shut your own faculties down and you say, I'm going to sit down and believe in this God who died and rose again. I believe he's there. I believe he cares. And I believe he can change my heart to his desires. And so you stop and you pray. And you don't say, God, give me a new car. God, give me a new house. God, You say, God, give me your desires. Give me new desires. Finish the work you started in me. He's conforming you into his image. So you don't want to keep your desires. You don't want to keep your ways. You want to be walking in His way. 
until the day that he comes. Prayer is not about getting what you want. Prayer is about becoming like God and getting his will done on earth. That's the simple way to put it. So, yes, you can ask him for a new car. Because he will provide all of your needs and some of your greeds. He's a good God. But notice this. My God will supply for all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Right? Spiritual is always first. Spiritual is always first. And if he's got you walking, it's for a purpose. If, if you can't pay your rent, it's for a purpose. And it's always a spiritual purpose first. Yes, we want to help people's physical needs. But if you help their physical needs and you don't care about their spiritual, all you're doing is putting a pillow underneath their head until they go to hell. That's all you're doing. You're just making them trust in you. That's what our church is doing today everywhere. Trust in the church instead of trust in God. It's word, prayer, and fellowship. Fellowship is last. But it's very necessary as one of the three-legged stools of what you stand on. You want the rest of the body to keep you accountable, to counsel you, to help you. But your relationship with Jesus has to be first. I always tell the, and, I, and you might, some of you might get tired of hearing my uh, testimony and things that happened. But when I first got saved, I, I think everything's going great in our marriage. And, um, and by the way, we, we got married two days after I got saved. So the first year was bad and the second year was worse. So, uh, but the last uh, week was pretty good. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> they, all 23 years are great. She can't hear me. So, and she can't yell anymore. So never mind. Listen, but I come home one day and she said, I'm leaving. Now, I heard it, either you're leaving or I'm leaving. And so I was like, what? What's going on? I'm working. I'm doing everything I can. And I go to my pastor's house. I go down and I'm banging on the door. I'm crying. I'm like, man, this is crazy. I mean, either I got to get out or my wife's leave me. I, I was a new Christian. I used to cry at a drop of a hat. And, and, and for me, that was big because I wasn't a nice guy. So, um I'm banging on the door, and he won't answer. So I sat down on this church pew, and I cried out to God right there on his porch. I went back home. I walked back home. And um, it was a long walk, too. And he was upstairs watching Three Stooges on a TV upstairs. And, but, but listen, the good news is, is that God had his way because it's God that I need a relationship with. Yes, I want to know my pastor. Yes, I want my pastor to pray for me. Yes, I want him to instruct me. But if all I'm looking for is another person, that relationship is going to fail me. The pastor is going to fail you. Your spouse is going to fail you. But God will never leave you nor forsake you. And in the end of the day, that relationship has to be with him. He is the one that's promised Never to leave. He's the one that's promised he'll finish the work. He's promised he'll deliver you across the finish line. He's promised a Messiah that died and rose again. He's promised an atoning sacrifice. And he's kept all of his promises. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to break the promise. Your spouse is going to break the promise and the covenant. But that's when you get to be like God and give mercy and grace to that other person. You get to act more like God then than in any time ever when you give mercy, grace, and forgiveness to somebody else. And when you can't do that, 
that shows hardness of heart. It might show unbelief. It might show that you think you're better than somebody else and you don't really understand the grace of God, that he forgave you. So that's where you have to go. But when something happens like that, that's when you have to go to the back to the drawing board, they say. Spit zone. Gallagher. This is a Gallagher concert, if you're not careful. Listen to me. That's when you have to go back. When you realize I'm not forgiving, I'm not giving mercy, I'm not giving grace, I'm not loving them and giving them Jesus, you need to also go back. They may have betrayed you, but you need to go back to the throne of grace and say, why is it that I can receive and I want my sins forgiven, but I don't want to forgive their sins? Why is it that it's okay for me to do whatever I do and fall short, but somebody else can't mess up? If he's conforming us into his image, and he is, and the Spirit of God is alive in us, and it should be, then we should be able to give them rebuke, encouragement, forgiveness, all the things that God gives to us at the right time with wisdom and knowledge of his word. Okay, let's move on. So he commissions them to go. And then listen to what he says in verse 16. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, you got to be careful with this. If you take just this text, now you're going to come up with some nonsense. And this is what happens is that people go, see, you have to be baptized to be saved. Listen, you can do no works to be saved. And if it took believing and being baptized, that would be works. Do you remember? And I'm going to explain this in several different ways. Do you remember the guy on the cross next to Jesus? He couldn't get off the cross and get baptized. It, so Jesus said, you'll, today you'll be with me in paradise. Look in John chapter 4. It says Jesus baptized more than John. And then there's a little parenthesis from the Holy Spirit that says, although Jesus baptized nobody, but his disciples did. See, if you had to believe in Jesus and baptize, Jesus would have been baptizing some people. Because he came to die so that they could be saved. Paul says, I baptized a couple, but I didn't come to baptize. I came to teach you. If baptism was that important as a way to be saved, then they would have been baptizing everybody as quick as they can. But just believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's how you're baptized. Or excuse me, that's how you're saved. But guess what? You've got to be careful. There's many baptisms. In fact, look at Hebrews 6. I'm going to... Speed this up a little bit. I'll be talking like this real quick. Real fast. So you won't be able to understand. You have to get the tape and slow it down. You know, they like to speed everybody's up. You have to slow mine down. Hebrews chapter 6. He says, therefore, leaving the discussions. Now, I would love to teach all of chapter 5 and chapter 6 right now, but I can't. I just want to make one point. Therefore, leaving the discussion, verse 1, of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. In other words, that's the direction we're learning to obey, not laying again the foundation of repentance. We don't have to do that again from dead works. It ain't your dead works. You can't do it in the flesh. Dead works of faith toward God. Then look at verse 2 of the doctrine of baptisms. See that plural word? Baptisms. Baptism, there's more than one baptism. Oh, that's where we can get some clarity from this. Baptisms, it actually means washings. You can go back to the Old Testament, there was always washing everything because it was unclean. 
New Testament, there's different types of baptism, different types of water. In fact, the Old Testament, remember when the children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt and they went through the Red Sea? Everybody knows the Red Sea. It parted. The Bible testifies that they were baptized into Moses when they followed him through the Red Sea. That was a baptism. In other words, they identified with the deliverance of God from Egypt through the Red Sea. And baptism, typically, that's all it is, is an identification with God and what He's doing. So this word here in baptism is washing. Now, where's the clarity at? Listen, you got to get the clarity. Get the clarity. You can't work your way into heaven. All you can do is believe. And if you believe, the Spirit of God comes in. And what does the Spirit of God do? Baptizes you into the body of Christ. That's what He's talking about here. If you believe. See, you can have a head knowledge and not really have a heart knowledge so you don't get baptized into the body of Christ. We were just talking about that. Listen, the demons believe demonology. They believe and they fear. They're not baptized into the body of Christ because salvation was not made for fallen angels. This is talking about the type of baptism where you're sealed. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, When you believed, you were sealed with the spirit of promise. This, you were washed. In other words, you got a brand new heart. When you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you're baptized by the Spirit of God into the family of God. That means your old sins were washed away. That's what this is talking about. Notice the next line, and I'll prove it to you. See, because you have the baptism of water, again, later. It's your first step of obedience. If you want to talk, talk about that, people go, well, I'm going to get baptized. You know what that means? I've decided to follow Jesus. And there's an inward work going on because the Spirit of God already baptized me into the body and the Spirit's telling me to obey. So now I'm going to go out and declare it to the public in my first act of public service. I'm going to be baptized in front of people. And what it is is going down into a watery grave and you come back up in the newness of life. It's just symbolic. It's just identifying with Christ. It's a washing. And then there's another washing. What about Ephesians 5.26? What about Ephesians 5? Oh, boy, that's a text. Submit to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her, baptize her, wash her with the washing of the water through the word. That's sanctification. That's sanctification, that he might present her to himself spotless and clean without any wrinkle or any such stain. That's what we're doing. See, because here's the first baptism, the first, I know this can be complicated. What I want you to see is you can't do any work. All you can do is get out of the way and let his mighty power work in you. The problem we have in the church today, the problem you have in your life today, you get in the way. You think, well, I'm going to go do some good works. They're filthy rags to God. Listen to me. So you get washed, baptized into the body. Then the Holy Spirit, as you get into the Word, He's washing and cleansing you and making you more like Christ. And it's the same thing as husbands we're supposed to be doing for our wives. Washing and cleansing her. And and the word actually is baptismo. This one's not. It's baptizo. It's a plural word for um, washing but we're supposed to make sure that they're whelmed. You ever been overwhelmed? This just means whelmed. The Spirit of God comes upon you and whelms you. It washes you. It cleanses you. So there's all kinds of types of baptisms in the Bible. But notice what he says to clarify my point, 
and we'll close here pretty soon, about another three hours. He said he, in 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. You know what saved means? Sozo, it means delivered from the sin nature. It means safe in the arms of the Lord, delivered out of the penalty of death. He who does not believe will be condemned. That's katakrino in the Greek. That means judicially decided to be casted into hell. See, but notice he didn't mention, mention baptism. Notice that? In the first verse, he said, if you believe and are baptized, he's talking about if you believe truly in your heart, you'll be baptized into the body of Christ. If you don't believe, you're going to be condemned. That's all he's saying. It's simple. We don't need to complicate it. And believe is the Greek word pistio, which means to entrust your spiritual well-being into Christ, to believe in the blood. You trust that God made a provision for your sin nature, for the world's sin nature. And then the word faith is just like it. It's, it's a word that's right next to it in the dictionary. It's a constancy in that. You can't just believe once. You have a constancy in that. You continue to believe. John says in 1 John 5, 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and you may continue to believe in the Son of God. That's a constancy. Two different words used there in the belief. One of them is trust first. The second one is a constancy in believing. So you can't turn around and start doing other things. You have to keep following. And following means to be in the way with Jesus. So he says, if you believe, and it's a true belief in your heart, not just knowledge, you'll be baptized into the body of Christ. Identified with the work of the cross. Identified with what Jesus has done. And then the Spirit comes in, and there's going to be a change in your life. Watch verse 17. If you believe and are baptized into the body of Christ, there's going to be signs that follow. Now listen, be careful with this, because an evil and perverse generation seeks after a sign so they can believe, but signs come after you believe. They don't, they don't, they're not before, see, and we got to know this. 2 Thessalonians tells us that there's going to be lying signs and wonders in these last days. The lying signs and wonders is to get you to believe in the Antichrist. See, when you come to salvation and you believe in the blood of Jesus and you are baptized into the body of Christ, there's going to be evidence. There's going to be signs and miracles in your life that you have been changed because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But they don't come first. It saddens me when somebody tells me, do you guys do that one thing in your, do you guys talk in tongues in your church? I want to come and see that. I want to come and see that. Because they think that the sign is going to save them and cause them to have faith. But only the Holy Spirit can cause you to have faith. When you're confronted with what? The truth of the Word of God. When somebody's preaching to you. When somebody carusos to you. When they herald good news to you that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead. That's the only way you can get saved. Signs do not produce saving faith. It's, it, James says faith without works is dead. So if you say you have faith and you don't have any works, let me show you my faith by my works. There's an evidence of saving faith that comes afterwards. It follows. It's not just a, oh, I said a prayer back in 62. No, 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 no. 
If you give your life to Jesus and are baptized into the body of Christ and the Spirit of God comes in to dwell in your heart and begins to do total home makeover and tear down the walls and change who you were and wash and cleanse you, there's going to be signs that follow because your life is going to be different. You're not going to be interested in the same things. I remember when I got saved, and I know you guys, you guys, he always telling that story about when he got saved. Well, you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, and you do not love this life to the end. Blood is number one. And then there's evidence. There's evidence afterward. The word of your testimony. You tell somebody, you witness to them. And then you stop loving this temporal world, and you begin to live in the spiritual realm. But I got saved in... Uh, uh, November 17th, 1997. And uh, my hero, I always, I had, I had heroes that were losers because that's what you do when you're in death culture. So Andre Agassi was my hero in tennis and he lost every time he'd play a big one. And, and uh, um, <laughs> my brain went dead. Um, John Elway, Denver Broncos. I watched him lose three Super Bowls. But you know what? In January 1988 and January 1999, he won two Super Bowls. I never seen him. Didn't care about a football game anymore. Could care less. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm saved. I ain't going to hell. I'm new. Who cares about a football game? Really? The devil's chasing me around and you want me to watch somebody chase a football around? I got to tell somebody that I've been set free. Didn't watch either one of them games. And don't, don't miss it at all. I don't even care. I could care less about a football game. Especially since they started taking the knee, I could care less even more. Anyway, I better get back to this. Listen to me. When Jesus comes into your heart, signs. Well, what's a sign, Greg? Well, it's related to washing. See, washing identifies you with Christ. Baptism identifies you with Christ. Now, I said this on Friday night. I say it all the time. See this wall? Painted, isn't it? But if I hung a sign here that said wet paint, I would tell you something about this wall that you didn't know. It would identify this wall being something that it was not when you were just visually looking at it. Listen to me. So if it said wet paint, you would know not only was it painted, but it's wet right now. And so when you get saved and there's a sign that follows, it's going to identify that you've met the Spirit of God, that you're not the same anymore. There's going to be signs in your life that follow. And you ain't got to tell somebody by going, hey, I got saved. Said a prayer last week at church. Give me one of them beers. You know, or whatever it is. You're not going to want to do that anymore. Now, you can stumble. You can fall. You can. But we need to wake up and let Christ give us light. And be free. Because he died to set us free. We all mess up. If there's somebody in this room that hasn't sinned this week or this today, let me know. Raise your hand. I dare you. I dare you, you bunch of sinners. But we're saved by grace. And we can laugh. We can have a little humor with it. But listen, Christ died for our sins. That costs somebody something. It costs God his only son. So sin is not a joke. The devil would like you to think that it is. So listen, signs follow true salvation. True salvators, you and I, Christians, follow Jesus. How do we follow Jesus? We're led by the Spirit of God. 
who's doing the transforming, the washing, the cleansing, the baptizing, if you want to use that word, they all mean the same thing, to be fully wet, to fully under the influence, and fully identifying with the Spirit of God and the work of God. And what's God doing? Reconciling souls. Do we love anybody? Do we care about the people around us? Do we care that there's people going to hell? Listen to me. If we really believe in the resurrection, if we really believe we've been saved from hell fire, we would care about our neighbors. Love God first, then love your neighbor as yourself. Well, myself was lost and now I'm found, and boy, I better tell my neighbor because they sure acting like they lost. They're living like they're lost. Last week when I gave them the tall finger, they didn't even like it. That's the way we do. That's the way we live. We act like I can give them a tall finger, but they can't give me one back or they're just heathens. I can pull out in front of them, but they flip me off. Then I'm the, they're the bad person, not me. See, it's our witness that might be the only thing they ever see. What we say to them might be the only thing they ever hear. Most people won't go to church. Churches are lost. Sorry, I'm not speaking against God's real bride. I'm speaking about churches where you dress up and play and you have dead works that lead you straight to hell. Man's religion, just like Israel, they miss Jesus. That's what the church is doing today for the most part. There's always a remnant. And certainly I'm not trying to get you to look at me. You need to read your Bible and look at Jesus. And if I say anything up here, just know that a blind squirrel can find a nut every once in a while. If you scurry around. These signs will follow those who believe. Notice that he doesn't say those who are believing are baptized again. There's two witnesses. Twice he said those who believe. Because the baptism is baptized into the body of Christ. You know there's. Yeah never mind. Well I started to tell you something. It's irrelevant. So I'm just going to leave it out. In my name. What will they do? In my name. Now listen, names mean something. That's why I told you Mary means their rebellion. Magdala means their tower. In their rebellion, they built their own little towers, and they think that they are in the Tower of Babel. They're going to have their own authority. They're going to live their own life apart from God. But it's curse. It's death culture. But in my name, names mean something. And here it means there's salvation in no other name but in the name of Jesus. Jesus means it's Yeshua. It means the Lord is salvation. But name here, when you look it up, means his character, his nature, his authority, his will. It contains every bit of that. It contains what, when you're saying in Jesus' name, that means you're saying that you're doing it according to his will, according to his authority, because you've been sent on mission. You're an ambassador for him. That you're worried about other people's souls. He gave you authority. What did he say? He said, all authority has been given to me. Go therefore. That's what he tells you. So he says, I send you just as the Father sent me. What did the Father do? Gave him everything he needed to go. Gave him everything he needed to fulfill his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And he was full of the Spirit without measure. So, in my name... Using Jesus' name, they will cast out demons, King, New King James. Devils is what it is in the King James. Devils. It's actually a demonic being. And it's from a word that means supernatural spirit of a bad nature. You ever been involved in that? It's scary. 
There's real demons, guys. A third of the angels fell with Satan. But in America, the demons don't bother us that much. I know you don't like that, but they don't. Because if they did, they would shake us out of our sleep and make us start serving Jesus for real. So they're attacking people in other countries that aren't, you know, they don't mess with America too much because we've been asleep for so many years. I'm not saying there's no demons here. They're, they're just running places like Hollywood where they show you a movie that's all blood and gore and death and evil and you go, oh, this is real entertaining. Really? Mocking at sin, playing with sin, what God hates is real entertaining? Be careful. New hearts have new desires and the fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. Pride, arrogance in the evil way I hate, God says. He hates evil. We make it into entertainment in America. In our world, it's all fun. And we are being put to sleep with lying signs and wonders where, where kids will think that if they pull a gun and they shoot 30 people, that they're going to come back to life on the next episode. We're being desensitized into believing these lies. And every medium, oh, is that really a word? Every advertising medium, every medium of the TV, the radio, books, your telephone, the mediums. Think about it. They divide. Think about the medium out there on, on the road. It divides the two roads. There's a road of truth and a road of a lie. And the medium is the devil who's trying to divide you from the right way. So when you come to salvation, you've now been put on the highway to heaven. And, and, and there's a road map. It's this Bible. And there's a spirit that will guide you down the road. You can actually play follow the leader and say, what next? And he will teach you the signs as you go. But believe me, those signs will be there if you're truly saved. The question is, did you come to salvation? Or do you just have demonic faith and you believe? But you haven't been baptized into the body of Christ. It's really serious stuff. Signs will follow. Cast out demons. I remember when I got saved, I went to a prayer meeting. I go, hey, lay hands on me. They said, what's going on? I go, if I got a demon, I want him gone. Because I, I was a stupid dude. I was chief of sinners. Ask my wife. I'm not much better now after 23 years with Jesus. I'm speaking in jest. But I had everybody lay hands on me and say, if there's something demon and foul that's in me, I want it gone. And I hope that you would too. And listen, you can't be possessed if the Spirit of God is in you. You can be oppressed. You can be under lies. But if there's a strong man in your house, he would have to kick Jesus out for a demon to come in. And there's greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. See, Satan's in the world right now with his demons trying to lie to you and deceive you. But if you believe in Jesus and you've been baptized into the body of Christ, Jesus lives in your heart with his Spirit. And they would have to whoop him in order to get him out of there. And they can't do that. He has all power and all authority. So these signs will follow. Cast out demons. I mean, so we see that in the Bible. It's testified to. We still do it today. You can lay hands on people and cast out demons. But only in his name. Only according to the blood of Jesus. We have no power over the devil. We have no power over demons. Even Michael, when he was fighting with the, with the devil over the body of Moses, did not bring a railing rebuke against the devil, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. He did it in Jesus' name. It's in Jude. 
if you want to find it. Sorry, we're going a little long. Oh, you're used to it. They will speak with new tongues. My goodness, go read chapter 12 and 13 and 14 of 1 Corinthians. Because a lot of people, it's the word glossé, which means tongues, but it's a supernatural in nature. It's not just a regular tongue. However, if you need to witness in French, God can give you that. All things are possible with God. But it's a tongue of angels also, he talks about. I speak in tongues every day, but it's the least of all the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives because it's for the edification of me and not for you. Unless, of course, he says there's an interpreter and then you understand what I'm saying. But it's part of a prayer language and you do have to insult your own intelligence. Listen, God has not changed. He still gives the gift of tongues, but not to everybody. Some people don't get them. Some people do. Verse 18, they will take up serpents. Really? And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now listen, this is controversial. What I would tell you is don't make any doctrine out of something that's only one time in the Bible. Be very careful. You know, there's people that, that Paul was making tents in uh, Thessalonica and he wiped his brow with his hanky and he laid it down and people stole his hanky and they ran off and people were healed with it. So now you got churches that mailed you this prayer cloth and these hankies and they say, boy, if you send us $100, you all ever your healing, will be, you'll be healed of all your sicknesses. That's a life in the pit of hell. In the first place, man don't heal you, God does. He's the great physician. And James in 5... 14 maybe he says if any of you have sick call for the elders of the church and the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man will heal you but it's it's actually God who does the healing and he never wants it to be a Benny Hinn on a stage all by himself drawing the attention to him that's a lie from the pit of hell that's a snake ministry maybe that's some of the serpents we need to take up today as we handle snakes these false teachers because that's what this word means Paul on the island of Malta, he did. He was serving. He was leading other people to salvation. And he picked up a bundle of sticks and a viper attached to him. And he shook it off. And he kept going and it didn't bother him. So certainly, God can keep a snake from killing you. But listen to me again. Faith has signs that follow it. Not pick up snakes and go, let me show you my faith. So, you know, there's people that have churches. They're very small churches in the Appalachian Mountains, and they handle snakes every Sunday. I used to tease people that we have snakes back there in that room back there and that we're baby-friendly. We have rattlers. So uh, that's my favorite joke. My wife hates it because it's not a joke. People literally do it. But why don't they drink poison at the same time? I mean, think about it. If you've got faith enough to handle a rattlesnake and just pick it up, why don't you just drink a cup of poison at the same time? Because that's what he says right here, both of them together. They're both right there together. You do not tempt God. Matthew chapter 4. The devil said, if you are the son of God, it is written that the angels will protect you so you do not kick your foot upon a stone. So here, come with me and throw yourself off the pinnacle. The devil tempting Jesus. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Why would you pick up a deadly viper on purpose? And go, I got faith, I'll pick it up. Well, then drink that cup of poison right there, Mr. Faithful. Seriously. I'm not gonna, God doesn't want you tempting him. I don't have to prove my faith by doing something stupid. 
But listen to me. A snake is a viper, right? It's, it, 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 we're told it's the devil. It's the serpent that deceived in the garden. The serpent is sly and cunning. The serpent, let me read it, uh, has an artful, malicious person. So we do have to handle snakes. We have to handle false teachers and false prophets and false doctrines who are sly and cunning and they try to lead you away. And if you're really living for God, you won't follow that. The, the, the sign that will follow is, is you'll be able to recognize the sly, cunning, and false teacher who's trying to lead you away and draw you to him instead of lifting up Jesus. In fact, the serpent in the Bible, the only time that it's related to Jesus is John chapter 4. Comes out of Numbers, Natusha or something like that it was called, when they were rebelling against God and they, they were complaining and the vipers started biting them. And they cried out to God for help because they were dying. What happened? God said, make a bronze serpent. Put it on a stick and raise it up in the air. And everyone who looks at my provision for their death will be saved. And Jesus said, just as the serpent was raised up in the wilderness, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Listen, what is, what's the significance? A serpent is evil, but bronze stands for judgment. Bronze and brass in the Bible mean judgment. Silver is redemption. Gold is deity. These are all have meaning. Every name, every place, everything is, is woven together for you as deep as you want to dig. Listen, so if you want to handle some demons or, or excuse me, some serpents, uh, in the name of Jesus, you can deal with false doctrine. Or if you're serving and a snake actually bites you, by all means, God's po it's able for God just to make the poison not bother you. But don't go out and do it on purpose. Don't go out and jump in front of a car just because you're indestructible until God's finished with you. That might be when he's finished with you, when you jump in front of that car. Why tempt him? We're not trying to prove our faith. We're trying to walk out our faith with, you know, and, and live and, and re reconcile souls. If the attention is being drawn to you, there's something wrong in the room. In fact, when you allow the attention to be drawn to you, God leaves the room. Have you ever felt the Spirit of God quenched in, in, a, in a room? I've felt it many times. Let's finish. People are wore out. If you drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. So again, it's the same thing. Um, I could go on for days. Listen, people, study your Bibles. There's different drinks. What? There's different cups. What? You have to decide, is he talking about drinking something that's physical or spiritual? Remember again, John chapter 4, the woman at the well. She came to get physical water. Jesus is standing there and said, give me a drink. And she's like, who are you? Samaritans don't have anything to do with you Jews. And he said, if you knew who it was who asked you for a drink, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water and you'd never thirst again. See, one of them's physical. The other one's given spiritual. So the question is, is what is this talking about? If you drink some spiritual water that's bad for your spirit, that's bad for your salvation, or is it talking about just drinking a poisonous cup? See, the enemy wants to deceive you. He wants you to follow a false spirit. He wants you to drink something that's not the gospel. 
But if you are living and you believed and you're baptized into the body, the Spirit of God will not let you follow the David Koreshes, will not let you follow the people that are lying for very long if you're enduring in the Word of God and following God by the Spirit of God. So you have to understand that sometimes drink means something totally different. And with God, it's always spiritual. And the cup or the drink could be going through. Jesus said to, to, to Peter, I have to drink the cup the Father has given me. Think about it. That's going through some stuff. That's going to the cross. That's following your calling with God is drinking the cup. So there's a lot of different ways that words can be used, and you have to find out by the Spirit of God, what are you referring to here? But he's not talking about walking around going, we got to drink the cup, poison cup ministry up here, guys. Which one of you has got enough faith to drink it? Hell, you probably just know you're going to go to hell if you won't drink his poison. Is that really God? No, not no more than the snake when you handle the snakes. I ain't going to touch snakes. My sister-in-law made me look like an idiot. Some boys put a snake in our mailbox at the coffee house in Lafayette. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm scared to death of snakes. Here I am, this big guy, and I go, I got my truck and got a tire tool and a, and a window scraper. And I go, I'll get that snake. And my sister-in-law walks up and goes, what are you doing? I go, there's a snake in the mailbox. She goes, oh. She reaches in and pulls it out and throws it on the ground. I go, oh, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. The only people watching. Thanks. Um. It will by no means hurt them. What's hurting you in your life today? Your unbelief, your hardness of heart, the ignoring fellowship, the word, prayer. That's the stuff that kills the spirit, the spiritual food, the spiritual water, the spiritual drink that we need is to find out what cup God has given us to drink, what we're called to be doing in the body of Christ, to get in the word, prayer, and fellowship and serve him with a pure heart. You have to be led by the spirit of God. And you can lay hands. I mean, God hasn't changed. There's still the healing ministry, um, and they will recover. They'll be made whole. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he rebuked them. He encouraged them. He told them what they should be doing. What happened? He was received up. He, 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 in the cloud, there was angels there, and he was received up. We see it in Acts chapter 1. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. You know what? There's one throne in heaven. And if anybody's sitting down, they're God. He was raised up and he sat down on the throne at the right hand of God. That's the, that's the arm of power and strength because he is the one that died and yea rose again for our sins. That God sent his word. He sent his strength down here to, to redeem us and deliver us back to his family. And they, the disciples, what did they do? They obeyed. They went out and preached everywhere. And who was with them? The Lord working with them. I will be with you. I'll not leave you nor forsake you. And confirming the word through the accompanying signs and gifts. Listen to me. Just that you guys would sit here this long and listen to the word of God either means you're going to a new church next week or you want to hear what God has to say. That's a sign there. That's a miracle. People that come to Friday night Bible study when they used to go party. That's a miracle. That's a sign. People that begin to learn how to use a checkbook and they pay their rent, and, and that's a sign. That's a miracle. People who lay their life down and begin to love their wife as Christ loved the church, those are signs. See, God takes the natural and he does supernatural. 
When you begin to be concerned about somebody else and you lay your life down for them and you want to take care of their needs, that's a supernatural miracle and a sign because we're born sinners who are selfish and all we care about is me. Whoever gets the most toys wins and I'm on that list. I'm going to get it. But listen, that list means you're going to get marked off of God's list. You want to lay your life down for Christ for others even the son of man did not come to be served but he came to serve and give his life a ransom for many why have you come what did he call you for are you willing to lay your life down for others it's required among stewards that a man be found faithful so let the works of your heart and hands be willing and able to be led by his spirit Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that you've had on us sinners. Thank you that we now have a new position as royalty, believer, priest in your home for your glory. Thank you, Lord, that we cannot exhaust this book in one teaching, but we have to keep gathering together and gathering to you so you can equip us. Pour out your spirit. Have your way with us. And we pray, Lord, for the salvation of souls true salvation, where they're baptized into your body for your glory for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?